Good morning and welcome to Enter the Mystic with your host, the Mighty Miss M. Welcome to part two of the series of seven on magicians and magic and reality um, and all the woo-woo stuff, which I enjoy talking about. Um, it's another gorgeous November day full of possibilities, like the possibility that someone will be so gripped by this podcast that they will want to have open dialogue and maybe chit-chat a little bit with So in the first podcast, we had talked about uh, convincing people that they are not magicians. Now, if you're just joining us, this doesn't mean that we are suggesting. See, I say we. It's not really a we ship here. It's just me. I'm just hoping, you know, for that someday it'll be more than just me and become a we and I'll have guests and be able to talk with other people uh, and dive deep with them uh, into this realm of unknown. Anyways, uh, it's not that, that I would suggest that we have no power. In fact, I suggest the complete opposite. I think that we have a lot of power and I think that we have forgotten our power. So today's episode is going to be about victimhood and how we have been taught to become victims of our own reality. And very little has to be done to do that. So on, uh, we'll just go ahead and just jump back into the book. And of course, uh, this is a book called What the Bleep Do We Know? It came out after the documentary, uh, What the Bleep Do We Know? And it talks about quantum mechanics theory uh, and being able to create your own reality and how that works and all the little pieces in between. See, this book is by William Arntz, Betsy Chase, and Mark Vicente. Again, could be butchering those last names, so I apologize. It would be great if they overheard it and they were so compelled to fix the pronunciation of their last names that they want to jump on board and have a conversation. <laughs> I keep pushing. I keep pushing. Um, so I had run across this book, uh, or the documentary, excuse me, back in 2004, 2005 was when I saw it on display and didn't actually watch the documentary until um, sometime around when I watched uh, The Secret. Um, they all kind of work together really well. Uh, so let's jump into it. So on page 143, uh, depending on what version you have of it, again, I encourage you to go buy or borrow a book and read it. It has wonderful information in it and it's very inspiring. Um, but on page 143, number two, teach the glories of becoming a victim. Once magicians accept being a victim, they have relinquished their claim to creating reality. For victims, reality happens to them. It is unfair and never their fault. So they never really have to look within where they will see their own creation. What is the antidote? Accept responsibility for your life. So this goes back to what I was discussing about the chaos theory. Um, how in my own life, I was so used to a certain level of chaos that I've recreated it repetitively in my life so that I felt like I was living in a place that was normal. And I, I say that with air quotes <laughs> because I guess what's normal is weird and what's weird is normal. Um, what's normal is chaos and what's chaos is normal. Um, but there is a certain level of uh, balance that needs to happen there and we need to realize what's chaos that is unproductive because there is productive chaos um, and purposes and reasons behind it. Anyway, I wanted to talk about a quote that uh, Betsy, uh, well, they have just Betsy under the quote, so I'm going to presume it's one of the authors. And she says, accepting that I create my reality wasn't easy or fun. I looked around at the carnage and chaos that I had created and thought, shit, this is a mess. But hey, if I can create that then I can create something else. She makes a good point. We can't really, it's, it's kind of like the 12-step the program, I think, is what it is for addicts. 12 steps. Um, it's, uh, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but at some point, and, and it's, it's similar to a lot of things, you know, people that have heard unwelcome news about their health, you know, there's, there's this uh, denial stage and this uh, acceptance and then all of that. So really what that's talking about is accepting that you're responsible for the nonsense shitstorm that is in your life at the current present moment and all before and saying, I take ownership of this. Okay. So once you've taken ownership of it, how do you recreate something different, something better, something more productive, something that's beneficial to not just yourself, but it extends out because really when you're inside and you stay inside, you're not paying attention to what energies you're, you're seeping out into the world. And I am probably incredibly guilty of letting people feel my disappointment, my rage, my anger, my, all those yucky feelings. But I've had several people tell me that when they're around me and they know, they just know innate what kind of a mood I'm in because I emit so much energy that they feel it. And so if I'm in a great mood, I am a pleasant person to be around. I have high energy, I'm on a higher frequency. And then, you know, when I am not, <laughs> when I'm the opposite, when I'm in my low frequency zone, it's felt. And I don't even need to say a word. And they can just feel that negativity just oozing. It's not even seeping at that point, it's, it's oozing out of me. And it goes back to the fact that I am an empath. I feel energy from others. I express, even if it's silently, (laughs) I can express that energy, whether it's people I've absorbed or my own stuff, or maybe it's just a combination of both. And maybe that's why I go so low is because I've absorbed a lot of negative vibrations that I've become those negative vibrations because I will say that as you know as I've grown older I have felt it more difficult to pull myself out of the the grooves (laughs) of negativity Um, I think it's because you grow tired of oh gosh there's so many things that play into it you feel tired of not being able to talk to someone on a real level you know either the superficial shit oh the weather this that oh how about them red socks how about you know whatever it's all surface conversation and and for people that like to have deep conversations that are meaningful and want to connect with others you know it 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 makes it difficult to pull yourself out of there. And then you kind of get stuck in this like back and forth and you don't see that just a shift in your perception of what's happening is ultimately up to you. And that goes back to what I talked about, you know, our thought filter. If I place value on this as being more or less or, or whatever, then I am creating that chaos, that uh, loneliness. But I think that ultimately feeling lonely or feeling disconnected from people um, is a real thing. And I think that social media has kind of encouraged that level of disconnect. Um, I watched a really cool, I think oh, it was mind Valley. Um, see, and I'm going to say that and I'm going to refer to it and I can't remember the, the lady's name, but she was very, very interesting to listen to. I reposted it on my Instagram. Um, she talked about how we live in, uh, a superficial bite-sized communication. Uh, I could be, I'm not quoting her because I don't think I'm saying the right words that she used, but something similar along the lines of we live in this bite-sized superficial world where, you know, don't 
write a message too long or or respond too quickly because people think that's creepy. Well, when I talk to people, I want to talk to them as my authentic self, not some package deal that makes them happy that, oh, okay, well, she didn't say more than a sentence on this comment or whatever. We're missing and we're lacking that authentic connection. Um, and that's kind of sidestepping away from the victimhood uh, that we're talking about here. But it does kind of play into it because then we feel like it's everyone else's fault that you feel the way that you feel. And so that you're never to blame for what you're experiencing when ultimately you are responsible for the way that you're feeling. And so people will empathize or sympathize with you. They will reinforce your story or you get the exact opposite. Uh, feel good. Um, P H I L G O O D love the play on the name. Um, he's on Instagram and YouTube and he's just super, super inspiring to listen to as well. Um, his little hashtag is be adopt. Um, but he was actually just talking about, uh, being a victim and how people don't create space for you to just, get that energy out, you know, and, and that's something I, I, he found a great way of saying it. it. It literally is. I'm not trying to be stuck in my past by discussing the things that have upset me or affected me to where it still affects me to this day. I want to have a conversation about it because this is how it made me feel. And he said, but we don't have to be defined by those feelings. We don't have to be defined by those experiences, you know? So people claiming that, that and saying that you're victimizing yourself to a degree, you know, you get into that gray area, of course, of course, our choices we've made in our lives are on us. There are some things that you, you know, had no choice in, um, but then it gets into that layered thing where if we chose the life that we, our spirit crawled into and grew up in, we knew what we were getting into, you know, that, that, that choice of spirit choosing their family and reincarnating or however you look at it, you know, we challenged ourselves. We had soul contracts. We had karmic contracts. We wanted to learn certain things. And so we chose a scenario in which we would experience those things, which by the way, you have every opportunity to cancel those contracts, every opportunity in the world to cancel those contracts. Um, does that mean that, well, that's my belief. I should say, I believe that you can cancel those contracts. I also believe that it potentially opens the door for the next visit or whatever you want to call it. You're going to have to, to go through those things at some point. You're going to have to make up for it. So like if I skip out on work, a certain thing in work this week, I'm going to have to deal with it, you know, next week or a month down the road, I'm going to have to deal with it. So that would probably be where self decision would be to eh, do I want to go ahead and keep going with this. So I learned the lesson. Um, so I don't have to repeat it. Um, but do we remember? I don't know. Maybe we do when we were born, maybe we remember perfectly well what we just dealt with. If we are reincarnated or, or get to choose to come back to this plane of existence. Um, but our consciousness creates reality and tying back into the thought filter and the choices that we make and this need to stay within our comfort zone, no matter how uncomfortable the situations are that we continue to recreate, um, we create them. Consciousness creates reality. So, you know, I guess, I guess I could go into a personal story because really that's what this is about. And as difficult as some of those things may be, or maybe difficult for 
those people to hear, you know, um, you blame parents, society, whatever, whoever, you know, I, I had a, I don't want to say it was a difficult upbringing, um, but it was, I wasn't as bad off that I was homeless or without food or anything like that. But at the same time, um, I had a parent who was an alcoholic and let me just back it up. I was less than a year old when my mother married my stepfather. So through the years, I mean, they were together for 17 and a half of my 17 and a half years of my life. Um, I think they, I don't even know if they started dating before I was born. I really, I don't know. Um, and I don't remember much of my childhood. Uh, I have bits and things and pieces. I, I marvel at people who, when I was three years old, and I remember it just like it was yesterday. How? <laughs> so, like, that's amazing. I don't remember those things. I don't remember a lot from my childhood. Um, but she was okay. I guess for a while. And, um, when our real father was killed in a car accident, she kind of just went downhill after that. Now my brother knew our real father much better than I did because he joined the Navy, uh, when I was, I maybe even before I was born, I'm not a hundred percent positive about that. Um, but my brother was three when they divorced. So, and she was pregnant with me. So I did know him. I got to, you know, interact with him as much as I could. Um, and, and there's probably a big chunk that I don't remember because I was a baby, <laughs> you know, and, and a toddler and, you know, so I do have some memories of him when he would come back from, you know, on leave. And, um, it was a week before Christmas and I was in the fourth grade and I don't remember I, my stepfather who was a police officer, uh, sat me down and told me that my father had died in a car accident. And I guess maybe I didn't really process it at first or understand it. Maybe, um, I don't want to say that I didn't understand it because I think, you know, at that juncture, I'd understood what death and dying was. I understood, you know, once this person is gone, they're not coming back, at least not in the form that you know them as. And, um, anyway, things got really bad after that. I don't know if there's some guilt or remorse that my mother had, but she just started drinking and drinking and drinking and, and my brother was always the um, the one that was glorified there. And I was this thing that she just had to deal with, um, which would later be confirmed by her when I was, I think, maybe 21, maybe 22. I don't know. I Like I said, my memories are, are spotty. Um but it was a very uh, difficult upbringing um, for me. My brother, I think he experienced his own things with her, but it was, there was a lot that was taken out on me. And I wonder now, you know, knowing some of the things that I do know now, if I was that, I don't know. I, I really don't know. <laughs> but going out of that, because I feel like I'm kind of getting off track talking about my own personal stuff. The point of that was, you know, I understood that she had her own demons. She had her own things. And as difficult as it is for me to process the things that she did to me as I was growing up, even into adulthood, um, she's very passive aggressive and manipulative because it worked for her. And I see things within the family units that are similar and in how people talk to one another and how they, I'm going to say this because I know it's going to make this person feel guilty, 
but I'm just not going to say it in the way that is so direct that I feel like so and so and so, and this is how you make me feel. It's just, it's a very passive aggressive way of being in that family and guilt trips and all of the things that, that come along with, with that kind of life. And so trying to process and forgive that for her is, is, has been my difficulty, but I also understand that, you know, only I can break that cycle, no matter what I had no choice in that as an adult, I have a choice not to engage in a relationship with her if she can't maintain the boundaries that I've set for a relationship. And so it is what it is. Um, and maybe that falls under uh, avoiding or, or, or whatever, because you can't just avoid problems, whether you've created them or someone else has created them. Eventually you have to deal with them, but it becomes a fine line of, do I remain a doormat to this person to where they can walk all over me all the time? Uh, or do I set the boundary and stick to the boundary and tell them that, my involvement with you is going to be limited because you can't even respect the boundaries or the rules, whatever that I've placed so that you don't hurt me anymore. Um, because it continued, I'm 40 and gosh, even two, three years ago, she was still doing her things to engage in that injury and lots of false apologies. Well, not even lots I think I got one apology out of her for the things that she had said and done to me growing up. Um, but I don't feel like it was an authentic apology, but that being what it is. So we get back into, you know, Oh, you're a victim, you're a victim. You never have to take responsibility. I think people are starting to wake up to that as well. I think they're understanding that, okay, the value that I've placed on this experience in my life is telling me that it's not my fault or it is my fault or I've created my chaos. Like I understand because of the chaos that I grew up around and there's so much more to that, but I know that that chaos that I grew up around, I have found ways to recreate it because that's my comfort zone. I feel like if things are going really well, genuinely well, something's not right. How could it be this easy? How could it be this easy? So I find ways to sabotage myself and I'm trying to be better about that, but it's a difficult thing to just, okay, I've been this way for this many years and I'm stuck in my ways because human beings are creatures of habit and it's hard to break habits for humans. It really is. It's probably hard to break habits for any mammal, reptilian, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it, it's what helps us survive. We, we have a, this is, you know, my day is going to consist of A, B, C, D, E. And at the end of the day, Z, I go to bed and get my rest and I, you know, rinse, wash, rinse, repeat, you know. And so, so I guess the spiritual trap in that is avoiding everyday responsibilities. And uh, Loner Wolf had a great thing posted here about that. And it says, some people get so infatuated with the spiritual path that they avoid dealing with ordinary everyday affairs. This form of escapism can lead to leeching off of others, not paying bills, evading taxes, obsessing with living off the grid, etc. When avoiding everyday responsibilities is worn as a badge of being consciously elevated or more spiritual, this too is a form of egotism in disguise. So, you know, you get into that ego discussion and, okay, well, that's not my fault and that's not my fault. And I don't have to worry about that because it's not even part of me becoming a spiritual person. And, and I just kind of want to throw this quote out there from the parables of Jesus. And I'm sure that there's other parables that are similar in other religions, but the one that I do know is pay God what is due God and pay Caesar what is due Caesar. You still have responsibilities that you have to take care of on this plane of existence as a spiritual being, 
having a human experience. Right now, the world is set up in such a way where you do have to pay your utility bills. You do have to put fuel in your vehicle. You do have to uh, monetize something. You have to make money to be able to pay those bills. Um, and living off the grid is a great, you know, that's really cool. I mean, but that costs money to get yourself off the grid and live in a tiny home with solar power and wind power and whatever, whatever. That doesn't stop you from, you know, having to deal with everything that's let up and show because you're, if you if you avoid it, it's still there. It's still under the rug. And eventually you're going to want to change out that rug or you're going to want to move that rug or you're going to want to do something in your life where you're spring cleaning your life and that rug is going to be pulled up and oh shoot and I kind of liken that avoidance to like an alcoholic or any kind of addict in the sense that on day one which is not really day one for them but we're just going to start somewhere (laughs) on Friday I only have this pile of problems But I don't want to deal with those problems. I'm sick of those problems, and I'm going to avoid them. And so I'm going to go get shit-face hammered or high as a kite or whatever and avoid it. But while I'm drunk or high, I have just created 20 other problems with other people or the same people because of my behaviors that are out of my control. I have zero control over myself because I'm inebriated in some form or fashion. So now, with the pile of 10 that existed on Friday has become a pile of 30 Saturday morning or afternoon, whenever they wake up, or maybe they never went to sleep. So by Monday morning and their binge weekend, they have tripled the amount of problems that existed on Friday just by simply avoiding the problems that they had created or avoided maybe they didn't create them but maybe you know whatever they avoided them and now they've tripled (laughs) their problems because they've gotten into fights or they've stolen something or they've done something that they regret in general whatever it is now they've tripled the problems that existed on their plate on friday instead of saying you know what today is a day that i'm going to start dealing with all my problems and demons and issues and they're my fault because I've allowed myself to get to this point. I've allowed myself to become this person and only I have power to change that. I guess the biggest thing that people are trying to do is avoid the feelings that are associated with or the anxieties or the, the sadness or the, the whatever grieving, whatever suffering. Okay, we'll just say suffering. They're trying to avoid the suffering of whatever those problems have created for them. And by avoiding that, it's never healed. So Eckhart Tolle talked about baby. No, it wasn't Eckhart Tolle. I'm sure he has in some way, shape, or form. It was, um, I want to get back to you on that. The book was called Anger, and he was Chinese, maybe? Hmm. I don't remember who it was. I'm so sad that I can't remember right now. I do that a lot. I'll think of something that I've read. And I know who it is, but I'm not going to be able to tell you his name. I'd probably butcher that name too because I'm so bad pronouncing people's names now. (laughs) I used to not be that bad. But um, he, he talked about babying your anger, babying your ego. Because your ego is going to be there. It's going to find, it's very creative. It's going to find ways to make it seem like you're not being ego driven. <laughs> it's, you know, it's kind of like the spiritual traps, you know, where you avoid, avoid, avoid. Now you still have to deal with those things. You have to heal those things because you can't just slap a bandaid on it and call it good. That's the problem I have with the big pharmaceutical companies is they slap a bandaid on whatever this is. And then in, in that they create 10 other symptoms and problems just from trying to cover up this one problem here. Now, I'm not a doctor or whatever, but my point is when you band-aid something, you're not getting to the source of the problem. You're not getting to the place of healing the problem. You're just slapping a band-aid on it and hoping for the best. And in that, you add more and more and more layers onto that band-aid of life, whatever. And so, you know, victimization is kind of a low 
frequency state of being. And I think people try, you know, they, they look at things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a good place to start, but there is, uh, and I don't know who, who created it, but I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they were kind of inspired by Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, because at the base you have your physical, the need for, for air, water, food, you know, healthy life. And then, you know, above that security, safety, shelter, stability, social, you know, the need to be loved, belonging, some sort of inclusion above that is ego, the need for self-esteem, power, recognition, prestige. And finally, at the very top, we have self-actualization, which is the need for development and creativity. And it matches very well with this frequency of being. And at the base, of course, we have the physiological air, food, water, you know, all of those things, safety, you know, love and belonging, esteem, and, you know, it, it goes up. And so and at, the, at the base of those frequencies, you have all these yucky negative energies, hate, jealousy. Um, I can't even think of, of all of them right now, but you kind of get the gist. And as you move up this filter and you start handling those things. But I think people see the base and they're like, Ooh, that's me. But I want to be all the way up here at the top where I have reached self-actualization and I have uh, become enlightened. And so they avoid all the, the work in the middle. Well, what happens if you you know build a pyramid and you remove two thirds of the middle, you're going to lose the capstone and you're going to lose, you know, your structure you're not going to actually have a structure. And so you can't avoid, you know, this idea that it's everybody else's fault and I'm just going to avoid any responsibility and I'm just going to work my way to the top. You don't really, that doesn't work. It doesn't structurally work. It doesn't, it doesn't function at all. It doesn't serve a purpose because you're not really accomplishing anything by pretending you've somehow reached this pinnacle of enlightenment or or whatever. Um, is it possible? Absolutely. But you have to do the work to get there. You know, I have my struggles in my life. Everybody has their struggles in their lives. Um, none worse than the other. I, see, we place this value. And again, it goes back to that, that thought filter. My life was worse than yours because you didn't deal with any of that. No, that's not true at all. That may be very well the worst thing that that person's ever been through. I don't care if it was just breaking a nail after they got a $200 manicure with diamonds and furry things and whatever they put on their nails. That could be the worst thing that they've ever had to deal with. What makes you better or worse? <laughs> I don't really know how to put that. What makes you better or worse in that situation that you get to say, to that person, your suffering is not as much suffering as mine. Suffering is suffering. Sadness is sadness. Disappointment is disappointment. It doesn't matter how or who feels it. It's still that same frequency for everybody. And whatever makes them feel that way, it just doesn't have a higher value that because you've experienced horrendous death and destruction and, and whatever. I'm not saying that that's, that's not important. It is, but your suffering is as important to me as a person who couldn't buy something that they really wanted. Or I, and I know that sounds so superficial, but if that really made them suffer in a genuine way and it wasn't a superficial suffering, <laughs> like if something genuinely made this person suffer, their suffering is just as important to me as someone who's experienced a tragedy in their lives. In those same breaths, some choices, something, some energy. I know a family where they just have nothing but thing after thing after thing after thing after thing happening in their lives. And as shitty as it sounds... I can't help but say, maybe when you focus on it so much every day, instead of finding 
a silver lining instead of finding a cloud without manipulating it into a way to get people to feel sorry for you because of your situation, perhaps trying to look at things in a different light or at a different frequency is going to help those yucky, negative, lower vibrational energies stay away from you. But when you live in them every day, they're never going to get past that point. And so you're always going to be, you know, like a magnet to whatever frequency you're sending out is the frequency you're going to get back. And so if people don't want to do the work, if they don't want to say, you know what, my attitude is shitty about this and I need to learn how to find a way to deal with that energy and put myself on a higher level to where those things are going to stop happening. I claim reclaim my power back because they had it. They had it at some point in their lives. They had it babies, toddlers, teenagers, whatever. At some point they had that power and they lost it and they got stuck in that level of, and they just stayed in that space instead of saying, you know what? Boom. Okay. I'm going to change the way I'm perceiving this, I'm going to change my thought filter. I'm going to deal with my suffering. I'm going to deal with how it made me feel. And I'm going to baby that. And then I'm going to realize that not everything is as bad as it looks. Not everything is going to last forever because there is something else beyond us. There is something else. I'm going to see that person again. I'm going to, or at least experience their spirit again. We are energy. Everything on this planet is made of energy. It's, you know, it's, it's, that's what it is. (laughs) Nobody can avoid that. It's what it is. It's made of energy. Um, And that energy just doesn't, disappear and die off. It goes somewhere. It does something. So if we deal and take responsibility for how we're feeling or for how we've perceived something, if when we take responsibility for that, is the only way that you're going to keep moving up and not losing pieces of the pyramid to reach the top. So Stop telling yourself that you're not a magician, that you're not magical, that you can't create your reality or your experiences. You can. Nobody can tell you any different unless you allow them to. And if you do allow them to, that's your responsibility. You are not a victim. You can choose to learn more about something. You can choose to meditate. You can choose to work in your own self and your own feelings and how your behaviors and things that you say and the things that you do might affect somebody else. I'm not saying we need to have safe places everywhere. That's ridiculous because that's a form of avoidance too. Um, People are triggered. Now that, and I'm not talking about I'm talking about real triggers. I'm talking about emotional triggers. Somebody that you love and trust should never deliberately trigger something that makes you feel anxiety, something that makes you suffer. So you either need to get away from that person or you need to sit down and have an honest conversation with them and say, this thing that you do, these things that you say upset me. And I'm trying to deal with those things, but it's like sitting in a room with an alcoholic that is trying to stop drinking and you're sitting there with a 12 pack, having a good old time, drinking away, smoking your cigarettes, smoke weed, whatever you're doing in front of that person who's trying to stop doing it. And they've just stopped. Well, that's not very nice. Is it (laughs) like you're, you're deliberately creating suffering for that person who is trying to change their life. And so it becomes a collective program. It's, it's a collective effort. And so if, if you know, you can't walk on eggshells, I understand that, but to deliberately do something that you know is going to upset somebody and not apologize for it or not, uh, you know, even acknowledge that you've done something it does make that person suffer. And while that person has placed a value on that, if they are genuinely trying 
to change their life. This person over here, if they say, I love you and I don't want you to suffer, should be like, oh, crap. Even if it was a genuine mistake and they didn't even think beyond themselves, they're still responsible for that action. They know at some point, especially if this person over here says, hey, can you like go drink somewhere else <laughs> or do whatever somewhere else <clears throat> or not do it at all? And, you know, when you're with me, because... You say you don't want me to suffer, but, and you can either be, you know, a bully or stubborn or be like, I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> it's okay. Well, yes, that's true, but you shouldn't do it in such a way where you're making someone else suffer. Like only sociopathic people and narcissistic people want people to suffer. They don't care that they're making people suffer. And I would like to think that collectively, there are far more of us that are, uh, I don't want to say normal, <laughs> not a cluster B personality. <laughs> so we need to be vigilant in our own behavior and how our behaviors might affect someone else. And while we shouldn't have to tiptoe and walk around on eggshells, we do need to be considerate at least of the people that are closest to us that we love, uh, that we're around every day. Because you're not going to know that a stranger is going to be triggered by you picking your nose. Like maybe that they have some weird anxiety about people that pick their nose, right? I'm just going to throw that out there. Not picking my nose, by the way. <laughs> but I'm just thinking... You're not going to know that about that stranger. You're not going to know. So you're not obviously doing it deliberately to make that person suffer. And if they have a flat out panic attack and you find out it's because you were picking your nose in front of them, like, yeah, that might be kind of funny because it's just such a weird anxiety to have or a weird tick or whatever. But at some point, if they had a genuine meltdown, you're going to feel bad because that, 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 I'm so, I didn't want somebody to suffer. God, that's the last thing I would want somebody to break down in tears and hyperventilate and can't function. You know, he didn't do that on purpose. And, and it's okay to kind of laugh like, Oh, okay. That was weird <laughs> because it's unknown. So why wouldn't you laugh at it? Or, you know, picking my nose can make somebody break down like that. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> that's weird. It's like people being afraid of grass. That's weird to me. I, I'm not judging them. I'm not saying, oh my God, that's so stupid. Because I have my own little, like, don't touch my freaking belly button. Don't put your finger in there. I will karate chop your face off. Like, I don't know why. Nothing that I know of has ever happened to me, to my, I don't remember anything. But I'm telling you, somebody touches my belly button, puts their finger in there, anywhere near, I'm like, it makes me cringe and want to become very violent <laughs> towards them. And it doesn't mean keep doing it. <laughs> it doesn't mean let's see what happens if um, it means keep your fucking finger out of my fucking belly button is what it means, you know, but that is, again, it goes back to the people that are closest to us. You know, you shouldn't want somebody to deliberately suffer or experience any level of suffering on that. Um, but at some point you have to take responsibility for why you feel those things for, okay, what do I do to, you know, there's going to just be things that you're uncomfortable with. And that's, I guess why I kind of brought up the belly button thing. There's just, it's, that's not going to go away. I don't, I don't know how in a world that feeling of, I want to scratch your face off. If you put your finger on my belly button, I don't know how that's going to go away. Um, I don't know where it comes from. It's maybe some repressed memory. Maybe, maybe the aliens came down and they took me away for some weird experiment. Just kidding, but not. Maybe it did happen because we don't know a lot. Uh, we pretend to know a lot, but we don't know a lot really. So anything could have happened. But something caused that. Well, what it is, I don't know. It's kind of like my sudden fear of water when I was 17 and a half years old, 
I was like a fish out of water when I was a kid. I mean, I was water. Let's go swim, 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 swim. I was always at the pool, at the lake, at the river, wherever. Let's get in the water. And I was 17 and a half, and I was standing out in Oregon on the beach. And it's the first time I, I well, yeah, I guess it wasn't really the first time I'd seen the ocean because I flew over the ocean when I went to Europe and, um, you know, boat from England to, to France. It's ocean enough for me. Let's not get into <laughs> the details. But um, I was standing there, and when the phone started, you know, as the waves are coming in or whatever, and the phone was coming to my feet, I started having a full-on panic attack. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe, and I was backing my feet up, and I, I, I would not let the phone touch my feet. I wouldn't get in the water. I, it was, I was terrified. But I love all things water. I love all things nautical. I love all of that stuff. Not, not let the phone touch my feet, <laughs> and it came out of nowhere. It was completely like that day I did a 180. And I know that the ocean is this big, vast, deep, beautiful, unknown thing. But it scared the bejesus out of me that day. And I don't know why. I don't. It, it did not really have anything to do with the, the depth of, you know, or the, the not knowing what's down there. I, it didn't. Not that day. That's not what it had anything to do with. I don't know what it was. But something that day triggered it. And I've had to do some work because from that point on, I refused to get into pools, lakes, rivers, name it. I wasn't. Nope. Mm-mm, I'm good. Must stand right here. And I think that's when I started wearing jeans. So I'd have an excuse not to get in the water. <laughs> and my legs are like, I think permanently, I think it lost pigmentation because I can't get my legs to tan for nothing. But anyways, so uh, I've had to work on that. And and eventually I was able to get back into a pool, you know, um, started doing hand fishing and uh, so the the rivers. And then I finally worked my way back into a lake that was, you know, 40 foot deep or more maybe. And, you know, I, I was working on those things. I still have anxieties in water for whatever reason but they're not nearly as bad because I was like okay look (laughs) that was just a completely unexplained thing that happened to you and you need to deal with that so um so I worked on that there's a lot of things that I've worked on by no means have I mastered anything but I have worked on them and I think that in order to break out of this shit storm that we're in right now, we need to start taking responsibility for our chaos. We need to start taking responsibility at a personal level so that we can become those people that can be like, Hey, here's this. And it's a wonderful tool and you just have to do the work and you can reach this place of peace of satisfaction in the, the deepest way because you can get satisfaction, you can get temporary satisfaction from a lot of stuff. Oh, Hey, I bought this new gadget. Oh, Hey, I bought this new pair of shoes or Hey, I bought this or Hey, I did this and that. It's an immediate gratification for short-term satisfaction. And I think that if we could truly fulfill ourselves at an individual level, and it's not meaning to be selfish because if, if you, what is it? Why? What is the, what is the quote parables again of Jesus? Why, how are you going to remove the plank from your friend's eye? If you haven't pulled the splinter out of your own or something along those lines, I know I'm not quoting it right. But you can't help others and take care of others genuinely until you've taken care of yourself. And if we start working at an individual level, I believe that we can grow out from there. And I don't mean to be selfish, so don't do that. Selfishness has really no place in this world. I know they'll tell you it does, but it doesn't. 
we need to be more uh, vigilant about how to become selfless. And in order to do that, we kind of have to, I guess, okay, so let me word it this way. I guess we do have to kind of become selfish in our uh, repair, but that selfishness is going to carry with it responsibility and honesty with yourself. So you're, if, but if you're doing it for the right reason, which I believe is for the good of everyone. And if we're all doing that, we don't get to sit there and say, it's your fault that I'm this way. It's your fault that blah, blah, blah. It's your fault that I did this. It's your fault that I did that. Yes. Every action has a reaction. Dominoes, those cool domino videos that, you know, they don't fall on their own. They need one to hit the other, to hit the other, to hit the other. So since yes, someone can do something that makes you do something, but you're responsible ultimately for your reaction to them. They may have done something, but if you put a larger, heavier domino in front of the smaller one that fell into it, chances are that domino is not going to fall and continue the process. You see, so become a bigger domino by working within and eventually you'll create these solid structures that will grow and keep growing and keep growing and keep growing to where they're not going to move that easily. <laughs> they're not going to be moved to react that easily. Makes sense. Anyways, so that is part two. We are at almost an hour of BSing and I've got to go clean this up because I think I hit my microphone like five times and I know that's going to be a really loud in everybody's ear and I don't want that to happen and I want this to be ready to go for I don't know they say do these podcasts once a week and I just it just have to be a limit like I don't know kind of feel like talking I'm not I don't know if I want to really limit it to that I'm not doing anything. So I guess for now, we'll just go with the flow and post as they are released. So I will be back whenever to talk a little bit more about this book, uh, What the Bleep Do We Know? And uh, the next episode is going to be How to Confound and Crosswire Belief Systems. And I think that one will be super exciting to talk about. And uh, at the end of this seven-part series, we're going to tie it all together and go from there and, and maybe find a place where we can start that healing and, and taking responsibility so that we can create a better world than what we are currently living in collectively. So have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful rest of your week, weekend. Uh, be safe and love and light.